This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Good morning. The first Bible reading is John chapter 16, verse 4b to 15. Jesus said, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me, about righteousness, because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer. About judgment, because the rule of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. This uh, reading is taken from Romans chapter 8, verses 9 to 11. Paul said, But you are not in the flesh, you are in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. Hear the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray now that by your spirit, that word would come to life in our hearts, that we would hear your voice and respond in joyful obedience. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you hadn't have guessed it from the balloons in the church, today is a special day. Uh, today is the day of Pentecost. Uh, the, the word Pentecost comes from the Greek word for 50th, Pentecostos, so-called because it falls on the 50th day from Easter Day, uh, counting inclusively of the Sundays. We celebrate Pentecost to remember what happened on the first day of Pentecost when God poured out his Holy Spirit on the church. Today is also a very special day for another reason, because we're gathering for the baptism, confirmation and reaffirmation for Idil, Nagmar 
Matilda, Georgina and Grace. Uh, and before I go on, can I say it's a, very it's a great delight for me to be here, but can I also welcome those who are here especially uh, to support uh, those candidates for baptism, confirmation and reaffirmation. It's particularly appropriate that we do that today on the day of Pentecost because baptism, confirmation, reaffirmation, they're actually focusing on the work of God's spirit in the life of the believer. In the Bible, in Acts chapter 2, it described what happened on that first day of Pentecost. God poured out his Holy Spirit on the infant church. And not only did that happen in that upper room amongst the first disciples, Peter then preached a, a cracker of a sermon. At the end of that sermon, he appealed to the, cr the crowds to come to Jesus so that they too could experience that same baptism with the Holy Spirit. He finished with this appeal, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. So that your sins may be forgiven and that you would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that is what we are symbolising in baptism, uh, the washing away of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is an external and visible sign symbolising a, a thing that God is doing on the inside, an inward and spiritual baptism with the Holy Spirit. In confirmation and in reaffirmation, we are calling on God to continue to grow and protect his children to whom he has given his spirit. And our sermon passage to, for today from Romans chapter 8 is all about what the Holy Spirit is doing in the life of the believer. It's telling us why the Holy Spirit is essential to the Christian life. Romans chapter 8 describes what happens when a person becomes a Christian. Becoming a Christian involves both a change of status and a change of state. The change of status is described in the first few verses of Romans 8, and we're not actually going to look at those verses this morning, but it describes the change of status from being condemned to being forgiven. Paul says that we justly stood condemned before God because of our sin, because of our failure to live in accordance with God's law. But, says Paul, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's because Jesus, the sinless one, took our place on the cross, bearing the penalty for our sins, that we can be forgiven. All who look to Jesus for forgiveness, Paul says, the righteousness requirements of the law are met in them because of what Jesus has done. In, in theologian speak, we are justified. Uh, my grandmother taught me when I was very young that means it's just as if I'd never sinned. That, that's what happens when a person becomes a Christian. What's my point? There's a change of status. We go from being condemned to forgiven. But let me say that's only half of the story about what happens when a person becomes a Christian. Not only does God give us the gift of, the holy, of, of forgiveness, but as Peter said in his sermon on Acts chapter 2, he also gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is in order to bring about not just a change of state, no, status, <laughs> but a change of state. In Romans chapter 8, verses 9 to 11, it focuses on, on that change, that change within. And it highlights two things that happen. God makes us alive to himself by the Holy Spirit, and God enables us to live for him 
by the Holy Spirit. So there you go. There's my two-point sermon for this morning. That's why the Holy Spirit is so important. The Holy Spirit makes us alive to God and the Holy Spirit enables us to live for God. Let me unpack those two ideas. Firstly, in verse 9, Paul is contrasting two mutually exclusive alternatives. People are either in the flesh or in the spirit. Don't worry, being in the flesh has nothing to do with being naked. In being in the flesh is describing an inward nature that is opposed to God. In verses 4 to 8, Paul describes that from three different perspectives. He describes firstly those in verse 4 who walk according to the flesh, where he's talking about our behaviours and our actions which are living in disobedience to God's law. The second perspective is in verse 5 where he talks about people who think according to the flesh or as the NRSV puts it, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. That is, a person's thinking, their mindset is, is dwelling on the things which are opposed to God and his law. And then uh, Paul says, verse nine, uh, verses 8 and 9 rather, the whole person is in the flesh. The non-Christian, their thoughts, their words, their very being is opposed to God. Now Paul says, verse 7, that when a person is in the flesh, they are hostile to God and they cannot submit to his law. In short, a person who is in the flesh is heading in the opposite direction to where God wants them to head and there's nothing they can do about it because by their very nature, they're going in the wrong direction. When a person becomes a Christian, however, that flips over. When a person becomes a Christian, God puts his spirit in them, and so we are no longer in the flesh. Instead, verse 4, we walk in the spirit. Verse 5, we think according to the spirit. Verse 9, we are in the spirit. What's happened is that God has put his own spirit within us. That spirit is also described as the spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit. God has done this to change us from being dead to him to being alive to him. Notice how Paul describes the spirit in verse 9. The spirit of God is the spirit is the spirit of Christ. Paul doesn't use the word trinity, but that is what he is describing here. All of God himself, Father, Son and Spirit, come and indwell within us when a person becomes a Christian. And don't miss Paul's point here, that is true for every single Christian. He says at the end of verse 9, if a person does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. You can't be part of the new realm of the Spirit unless you have God's Spirit within you. As Jesus himself said elsewhere, John chapter 3, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Now, that spiritual life is already a reality for our five candidates, for Idil, Nagma, Matilda, Georgina and Grace. They've already been born again from above. God has already flipped them over from death to life. Can I ask you, is, is that true for you? 
Is that your reality? Can you say, yes, I know that I have received forgiveness of my sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit? How do you know? How do you know that you have the gift of God's Spirit? Is it some kind of tingling that you feel in your fingertips? Is there something that you can point to and say, yes, I, I know I've got the Spirit within me because of some feeling that comes over you? Well, to answer that question, uh, let's look at the next couple of verses where Paul explains what happens when the Holy Spirit indwells a person. What we see in these verses is that the Holy Spirit enables us to live for God. That is, the Spirit actually brings about a transformation in our behaviour and our thinking and in our relationship with God himself. Now, let me be clear, though, as I begin to unpack these verses by saying what it does not mean and it cannot mean. What it cannot mean is that the moment a person becomes a Christian, you immediately and always live in perfect obedience to God. That is, you were going this way and you were always doing the wrong thing and then suddenly you become a Christian and then from that point onwards you always do the right thing. All the Christians out there are smiling because we think, yeah, that's, that's not true. <laughs> but it's not just true in our own experience, it's actually true of what Paul is saying here. In verse 10, he says, even though Christ is in you, your body is still subject to death because of sin. What Paul is saying is that even though the Spirit has made us alive to God, we are still living in our mortal bodies, which, like the rest of creation, are disordered. They are not yet as they're meant to be. Yes, God has begun a work of transformation in us, but that is not yet complete, and it will not be yet complete until what Paul describes in verse 11, uh, when the one who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies because of his spirit within us. Yes, one day God will give us new bodies, resurrection bodies that will no longer be subject to the pull of our old sinful nature, but that, that's not where we are right now. The present for reality for the Christian is that we still have to deal with that old nature within us. So the evidence of the Holy Spirit within us is not complete and absolute transformation the moment we become a Christian. But the evidence of the Holy Spirit's work within us is that a transformation has begun. That's what's being described in verse 10. Paul says that even though the body is dead because of sin, our spirit, and note here, this is actually lowercase s, spirit, not capital S as the NRSV has translated it, the Holy Spirit. Our spirit has been made alive because of God's gift of righteousness. Paul is describing the fact that once the spiritual new birth happens, it actually brings about a real response from within us. That is, for the very first time, we are able to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, to love our neighbours as ourselves, and we will begin to live a life that is pleasing to God. We can do now what we never could do before when we were in the flesh. As I say, that's not to say that our behaviour immediately and automatically changes when we become a Christian, as Paul goes on to explain in verses 12 and following, 
being, living out the Christian life means consciously putting to death the old nature. We are no longer obliged to live according to the flesh. We can live for God. Let me put it this way. When I became a Christian, the old nature, the old Michael, no longer has mastery over me. Old habits, however, die hard. And so I consciously need to keep on putting to death the deeds of the body, as Paul puts it. it I, I only can do that because I have the Spirit of God within me. It's not, it's not in my own power that I do this, but it's, that is the demonstration that God is alive in me, is that I now can start to live his way. I can be led by the Spirit, as Paul puts it a couple of verses later. The ongoing Christian life is a constant process of doing this. As Paul says, we need to keep in step with the Spirit. If you are a Christian, then this is the sign of God's work in you that you are beginning to walk and think and be more like Christ. It doesn't mean that you have complete and utter mastery over sin. It actually means, if anything, that you begin to experience a struggle with sin. When I became a Christian, I suddenly became conscious of all the things that I just used to do by nature and never had any problems with. And now it's, oh, I, I know I don't, I'm not supposed to do those things, but I actually feel the struggle, the pull of that old way of life. And I'm constantly having to choose to put to death the old me and follow Christ. When, before I was a Christian, it wasn't, wasn't a struggle against sin. Um, or as somebody put it to me, that, that's because even a dead dog can swim with the stream. It's only when you become a Christian that you are actually swimming against the current. The fact that you want to swim against the current and that you are swimming against the current of this world is the sign of God's work within you. That is the challenge, not just for our baptismal confirmation and reaffirmation candidates. It's for every single one of us here this morning who is a Christian. For every Christian, the Spirit has made us alive to God, but we need to live in that relationship. For every Christian, the Spirit is enabling us to, uh, to love God and to love, love neighbour as ourselves, but we need to choose to walk according to the Spirit and not in the old ways of the flesh. In confirmation, I will be laying my hands on each of our five candidates, those who have already received the Holy Spirit, in order that God might daily increase in them his Spirit so that they would walk in obedience and come at last to his everlasting kingdom. That's the prayer that I'll pray for each one of them. And my prayer is that not just for the five of them, but for all of us, that will be the reality for us, that God will daily increase in us the work of his spirit that will transform us so that we can live in love and obedience to him. Let me pray for that now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you that through your spirit you bring us from death to life. And we now pray that you will so stir up your spirit within us that we would walk in love and obedience to you and please you in all that we do. In Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.